everybody. Welcome to the Large Nerdron Collider podcast, a podcast that's all about the geeky things happening in the world around us and how very excited we are about them. I'm Ariel Kasten, and with me, as always, is, uh, well, not as always, is my cat Harvey, who is looking over my shoulder right now, but then also my wonderful, amazing friend and co-host, Jonathan Strickland. And Ariel, I am so excited. I can't wait for us to get through this episode because I have this crazy uh, 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 new source book for Dungeons and Dragons that I've created, and it's going to be like a huge success, and I'm so I'm so jazzed to talk about it. Well, uh, we will talk about that a little bit later in the episode um, because you might you might want to hold off. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on with uh, the D and D open gaming license right now, uh, as probably most of our listeners know. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll have our take on that. And uh, yeah, I was just being uh, a, a cheeky little monkey to talk about such things. But yes, we will definitely be dedicating a little bit of time to talk about that. Uh, it's an ongoing developing story. So obviously we're not going to uh, definitively state our thoughts one way or the other, because, um, you know, it's uh, it's flexible. Yep. And we do have a 30 seconds or less to start this episode off with. But before we do, I just want to say thank you to listener Sean for reaching out and telling us that we were derelict, uh, but in a much nicer way to not include Doctor Who in last week's list of things that are upcoming. Because, uh, yes, that we're getting the new doctor this year and uh, the trailer for the special with um, uh, Donna Noble and the 10th Doctor, 10th Doctor, uh, David Tennant and um, Neil Patrick Harris. It just, it looks bonkers. It looks delightful. So thank you, Sean. Yes. Yeah. See, I I disagree. We don't have a new doctor. We have an old doctor. So to me, it's just a rerun. Well, we have an old doctor followed by a new doctor. I think anyhow, I, that is something I am excited for in 2023. So thank you, Sean, for reminding us and calling us out. Even if Jonathan's a little cranky about Doctor Who usually. I'm cranky about everything. Okay, That's but true. now I'm going to give you give you my crankiness in short bursts because it's time for thirty <laughs> seconds or less. And uh, I have the first story, so I will get started now. So uh, we've heard that Francis Ford Coppola's Megalopolis film, which is a science fiction film, or at least a film that has science fiction tones to it, uh, is currently in trouble. It's shooting here in Atlanta, where Ariel and I are. But a whole bunch of the crew has walked off. The creative team was fired. People are talking about this being similar to the troubles Coppola ran into with Apocalypse Now. So who knows? Maybe we'll see a documentary that's better than the movie. Done. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. It could be brilliant. It could be horrible. Okay, next. Are you ready, Jonathan? Yes, go. All right, William H. Macy, who I just watched in the latest episode of The Connors last night, delightful show, uh, it has joined the cast of the upcoming uh, Planet of the Apes movie, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. It takes place after the last one that happened, which I think was War for Planet of the Apes in 2017. Um, I'm not caught up on the movies. I really did like the first one, um, and I like William H. Macy, so I'm sure whomever he is playing, which we don't know yet, will be brilliant. Yeah, uh, the thing I like most about these movies is how many of those they can fit into a title. <laughs> Kingdom of the planet of the apes of the. <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah, you're like, come on. OK, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, my next one and I'm ready to go. The Internet is wondering if Kristen Ritter is going to reprise her role as Jessica Jones in the upcoming Daredevil series because Ms. Ritter recently took some selfies of her at the gym while wearing a daredevil t-shirt and kind of hinting that she's getting ready for something, which uh, that's enough to, to fuel speculation. But of course we have heard no word as of yet. And if it is true, Marvel is probably pissed at her. Okay. Uh, I, yeah, I, I like her care. I like her portrayal of Jessica Jones. I don't necessarily need a Jessica Jones series, but I'd be happy to see her in the role again. All right. I mean, uh, I, I love I love her version of Jessica Jones. I would actually like to see street level characters in MCU, like more of them, because I think 
I think that would give them opportunity to explore a lot more stories rather than these huge galactic multi-dimensional ones. I agree. I agree. Um, okay, we're getting a little bit out of 30 seconds. We'll bring you back in a second, everybody. Uh, I agree. I really liked her in the first season of Jessica Jones. So it was very difficult to watch. So not everybody could watch it. I have multiple friends who said just the 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 content was, was too much for them. Um, I think she did great. I thought the second and third seasons of her standalone show were not great. And um, so yeah. I... I I do want to see more street level characters. I don't know if she warrants her own entire TV show, though. I would be totally up for getting more defenders. Agreed. Yeah. Everything I've, I, I've only watched the, I think I've only watched the first season. Maybe I tried to watch the second season, but yeah, I, I think that it's pretty universal that uh, the first season was great and, or at least was really well done because as you mm -hmm. say, it is incredibly traumatic uh, storyline. But uh, yeah, I've gone way too long now. And I apologize to all of our listeners out there for violating the 30 seconds or less rule. Ariel, are you net ready for your next one? I am. Okay, go. All right. So we are getting a new Trigun show, Trigun Stampede. We might have talked about it or we might have cut it from a previous lineup. However, we just got news that Johnny Young Bosch, who was the English voice actor for Vash the Stampede in the previous TV series, will be coming back to play Vash again. Uh, if you are not familiar with Trigun, it's it's a fun like Western anime series. Uh, and, um, the voice actor also was Adam Park, the second black ranger in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Cool. Uh, okay. I'm next up and here I go. Giancarlo Esposito is tired of playing bad guys and he wants to be a good guy now. Please. And thank you. Done. <laughs> well, that's not Six 30 seconds. seconds. <laughs> uh, he apparently has talked. He would like to be professor X. He's apparently talked with Marvel um, executives, so nothing like about being in the Marvel MCU and has put it out there that he would like to be Professor X. Um, There's fan casting of him as Professor X. I remember that distinctly when people were first talking about the X-Men coming to the MCU, who could play what, and he was one of the names that fans were bandying about as a potential Professor X. I think it's brilliant. I, I agree, and I'm totally behind him saying, you know, I've played it. He plays a lot of villains, and I can get him get behind him saying, yeah, I want to play a good guy for once, and also Professor X is it's not always good. He's usually good, but he's not always good. Um, yeah. But he also... He's complicated. He's, you know, as people are. Um, Giancarlo Esposito also does want a Gus Fring prequel for Breaking Bad, um, which is what he, I think, Ooh. is most known for. I would be for that. Gus Fring is a really dynamic character with a lot of backstory that we don't get much of. So, yeah, we, we only get a hint of the things that happened in South America before he came to the United States and built up his fried chicken and uh, methamphetamine empire. Yeah. Okay. Apparently we did, you know, some weeks, guys, we do really good at picking our 30 seconds or less. And some weeks we do really bad. Uh, this is the second. Well, that's okay. Cause this next one, we could, we could dedicate an entire episode to this next 30 <laughs> seconds or less, but we will, <laughs> we will do our best. So Ariel, are you ready? I am ready. Go. All right, Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser stepped out of um, the entertainment industry after uh, some horrible, horrible things that happened to him that were not his fault. Um, and is, But now he's making a comeback, and he's brilliant. And he has said in an interview that he would be up for playing, being in another Mummy or uh, mummy movie or to get that franchise back going and being a part of it. Um, it I don't know if he could play the same character. But I would be he's such a good actor and he's from every, everything I've heard about him and all the people that tertially that I know that have worked with him. That's I may not have used a word correctly there. Um, he's delightful and I'm all for him doing anything and everything he can. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I wish him all the best and to get incredible roles and to continue to work. I mean. To me, Brendan Fraser is sort of the definition of the working actor. Like he has that kind of mentality, like he loves to work and he's always looking at, you know, what his next gig could be. Mm -hmm. And and that's kind of his approach. Like there are different ways to approach acting. And I feel like he takes a very sort of pragmatic kind of practical approach to landing jobs and, and getting work done. Yeah, uh, that doesn't mean that he doesn't 
care about it, but that he views it, he views it as, I mean, that's his job. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's, he, he is, he has made such entertaining films in the past. I, I would love to see him in more stuff, whether it is heavy dramatic stuff or more lighthearted, adventurous kind of stuff like he used to do yeah. back in the, the day. I mean, right now, you know, he's in Doom Patrol and he's in, he was just in The Whale. Um, and, you know, this is, it's great to see him making a comeback because he spoke out. I think it was, uh, he experienced some sexual abuse uh, as a young actor and spoke out against it and kind of got blacklisted for a while and is still sticking by his, his morals. And um, I think he boycotted, was it the Golden Globes that just happened? So, um, you know, I really appreciate um, an actor that really stands up for what's right before um, taking advantage of opportunities for themselves. And I, you know, he, like you said, he's very versatile. He can do super dramatic. He can do lighthearted and fun. So I'm I'm very excited he's back and making more content. Yeah. Something now we're ready to move into our news story, something that I'm excited about. But boy, howdy to this most recent trailer really nailed down how dramatic this film's going to be <laughs> uh, was the new Ant-Man film that's coming out this year. Ant-Man, the quantum mania mm-hmm. uh, uh, film where we're going to get Kang reintroduced. He was originally introduced in the Loki mini series. Spoiler if you haven't watched that, but <laughs> yeah, I guess like if you're the kind of person who just watches bits and pieces of Marvel entertainment, you're probably left wondering what the heck is going on most of the time because they have really interwoven these stories together. Yeah. Um, this new trailer, honestly, I was worried it was going to be way too spoilery. There's so much, it seems like there's so much going on in the quantum verse for this new Ant-Man movie that I don't think it was. Um, personally, uh, it looks interesting. It does look a bit more dramatic, but it's an Ant-Man heist movie. They're all heist movies. So I'm sure it's going to have some fun in there. Um, maybe they'll meet the real Baba Yaga in the quantum verse. <laughs> okay. Yeah. First of all, I have a whole thing about Baba Yaga, but I'm not going to bring it up because <laughs> it, we don't have a John Wick story in the lineup, no. uh, but it would have to do with the fact that they're using the wrong word. Cause Baba Yaga is different from what they're trying to say. Yeah. yeah. In the John Wick movies. But anyway, um, the, no, I was going to say though, that the, the, the feeling I got when I walked away from seeing this trailer was that, some heavy stuff is about to happen. Like kind of like how we were saying with guardians, it looks like Mm -hmm. not everyone's going to make it out of guardians. I'm not convinced that there won't be at least a couple of deaths in Ant-Man quantum mania. Like they're setting up the big, big bad for this series of phases. So if I had to guess, it looks to me like the, the critical uh, uh, problem in quantum mania is that Kang wants to get out of the quantum verse wants to use, uh, Ant-Man and his compatriots as the way to escape the quantum verse and thus begin his reign of terror across the multiverse. And, uh, you don't do that without breaking a few eggs. So I, I agree. It honestly, like, King, they've set King up to be such an interesting character. I really like Jonathan Majors in um, Lovecraft Country. I thought he was a phenomenal actor. Um, very, very nuanced. Um, really made me feel for him. As King, he is like, and, and part of it, I don't have a lot of, a lot of, you know, content to go off of. He was at the very end of Loki where he was all over the place, uh, kind of like a, a theater kid. <laughs> and then in quantum mania, where he changes motivations within the trailer, uh, or it, at least it seems that way. Um, it feels to me like he is playing Kang from the tiny bits we've seen the way that, uh, ghost looked visually in the second Ant-Man movie. Um, kind of the woman who was phasing in and out where she just kept like getting all these ghost images of herself, hence the name. Uh, And like, I feel like Jonathan Majors is playing all of these ghost images of the character of Kang. And I'm really intrigued to see what the, the central motivation and character of this person will be. Well, yeah, because in the, in the comics at least, and this is explained a little bit in Loki, there, there's a Kang in all these different mm-hmm. multiverses, like in all these different individual universes. 
and they kind of seek each other out to try and become like the 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 master Kang of everything and everyone like 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 there's a Kang that's specifically going around murdering other Kangs in an effort to stop a, a, a cataclysmic event, that kind of thing. And you get the feeling like this is the Kang that you definitely don't you don't want to let him out of the cage. And I I mean, obviously, he has to get out of the cage because otherwise the rest of the yeah. phase five and six don't happen. So, so. so uh, in my brain, immediately when you're talking about the one Kang uh, running, running around, killing other versions of himself, I'm like, OK, so he's playing a game of Highlander by himself. But then I went one Kang to rule them all. Um. Well, yeah. But Highlander, it was different immortals. It's more like he's playing a version of the one, the Jet Li. Also, OK, yeah, fair, fair. Um, but now we've got a couple great mashup ideas to, add to our list. That's uh, true. That's true. The 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 now and future Kang. Uh, so we've also I, I was just going to say, could could you say that he is causing a disturbance in the force of the MCU? Oh, nice. Nice. I was going to do a much clumsier segue, but yours is better. So. So, yeah, we got a trailer for a documentary that's called A Disturbance in the Force. That's about one of the great lost works of entertainment, uh, a, a piece that a lot of people know about. Some people have uh, bootleg copies of, but was has long since been disavowed by the powers that be reportedly the guy behind the whole thing, uh, ultimately behind the whole thing, wanted to destroy every <laughs> single copy. We are of course talking about the immoral class. I'm sorry. Immortal, immortal classic. <laughs> the star Wars holiday special. Yeah. Yeah. So now we get, uh, you didn't want it to be made. You didn't want to watch it. Well, maybe you did. Maybe you regretted it. Maybe you loved it, but now you get to see, all of the turmoil behind it. I love that the trailer for this documentary starts off with, um, with, a uh, an interview with Harrison Ford, where he just denies remembering making it. And then, um, like strangles the host for asking him about it. It's very funny. I hope that was a bit and not yeah. actual anger. I'm sure it was a bit. Oh, it was clearly, <laughs> it was definitely a bit, but yeah, there there's, there's a lot of little clips of people directly connected to star Wars who were, you know, actually talking about it. Uh, and then the rest of the trailer goes into, you know, all these different folks talking about the making of the star Wars holiday special. How did this become a thing? How did the decisions to incorporate like television stars of the late seventies to just play various random characters within the star Wars universe, like B Arthur, <laughs> um, and, and, you know, it's just Harvey Corman, th those kind of folks It's a very weird uh, special. If you've never seen it, I cannot recommend <laughs> watching it. There's it's probably all on YouTube at this point, but uh, I don't recommend watching it simply because it's not a so bad. It's good kind of thing. It's just it's a slog you, to watch you, that. It is. Yeah, painful. the MST3. K guys don't even like touching it. But if you do watch it, watch it with friends. Um, and that's the only way to get through bad slog movies. If you just need to be get that Chivo. <laughs> right. And be ready to, to ride that fast forward button because there are sequences where you're just like, this is, this is just pain. Mm -hmm. Like either that, or maybe you like take that time to ask each other how they're doing and what ambitions they have for the year or whatever, <laughs> because Trust me, you do not want to actually watch what's happening on the screen. I mean, I, I, there are some people who love the holiday special, Jonathan. For what it is. Not they for being wrong. good. For being what they it are is. They wrong. Um, something we don't know if we're going to love or not, because uh, I'm going to move on. We could just get into this back and forth. I don't think the holiday special is good, but um, I did have fun watching it, it for certain definitions of the word fun. Uh we don't know if we're going to have fun, however, watching the Borderlands movie because original director Eli Roth has stepped off to move on to his next next project. And we're getting a bunch of reshoots from uh, Tim Miller, who, uh, if that name sounds familiar, it's because he's the director of Deadpool. Right. So reshoots are not unusual. Uh, it often happens with movies where you get to the edit and you realize, oh, you know, 
we need a little more material here because this isn't clear in the film. Like the, the film no longer makes sense or we need another scene here to, to uh, carry the energy forward. You know, there are a lot of different reasons, or it may just be that, uh, you know, we could do that better. Sometimes even that's Mm -hmm. the thing. So reshoot does not necessarily mean a film is in trouble. Uh, And bringing in a different director sometimes is an indicator that a movie studio has lost faith in the original director. But in this case, it really does seem like it's more of a matter of scheduling Mm -hmm. deadline. The, the, um, the, the news outlet stated that this was not a case of Eli Roth being fired from borderlands, but rather that it's a scheduling thing. So with all that in mind there, I don't think there's any reason yet to worry about the quality of the film. Mm-hmm. You know, we still haven't seen anything like even a teaser for this yet. Really? Not really. And um, yeah, I think, I think it's too early to, to make a yeah, judgment. Uh, honestly, the, the, the most ominous thing to me is that I for like this movie was talked about and then kind of fell off the radar. And now they're like reshoots. So when like, you forget a movie is even happening and then you hear about reshoots. It can, it can feel a little bit, um, uh, un- unstable, I guess, but, uh, there's, there's no reason to believe that. That's how I feel about the D and D movie, <laughs> right? Like the D and D movie kind of, we got that one trailer that was very goofy and then it kind of dropped off the face of the planet for a while. I, I mean, for a little bit, I think we got the trailer like five or six months ago. Um, but after we talked about this last week, Jonathan, I went online to look to see if anything else had been brought up about it. And they, they have like released a little like behind the scenes and snippets about different characters or things with the cast. So they have been releasing some, some more content. It just hasn't been more trailers. Yeah. Because I haven't been seeking it out. I haven't been seeing mm-hmm. it, which is weird. Cause uh, my YouTube algorithm keeps trying to share with me uh, men's rights videos, which is about as far away from the person I am as you can get. And I'm wondering if YouTube is okay. I mean, probably not. Uh, <laughs> they probably aren't. Um, now that's, that's weird. Every once in a while, I'll just get like this long string of ads that I'm like, why is this? Why are these the ads I'm getting? Uh, something that fell off of everybody's radar and then came back and then fell off and then came back and then fell off uh, is the community movie because it's been talked about for a long time and hasn't made any traction. Well, it didn't make traction for a long time, but now it appears that it really most sincerely is going to be a thing. Joel McHale was on a talk show and uh, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, I believe, And Jimmy asked him about the possibility of the community stuff. And he says, we're shooting in June. So it looks like it looks like all systems are go. You know, the last we heard there was there was a a kind of a gentle commitment on the studio side to produce a community movie that would be meant for Peacock. So streaming on Peacock. But we there was no word of a script yet. Uh, Dan Harmon had said that they needed to, to get a script together and we didn't know which of the actors were going to come back. We know now that most of the actors are definitely signed on, but still Donald Glover and Yvette, Nicole Brown uh, are, uh, and Chevy chase are among those who have not been confirmed Mm -hmm. to return. And I know that uh, I know for a lot of people uh, without Donald Glover and, and Yvonne, it would be really, it, it just wouldn't feel right. Like it wouldn't feel like, community so much. So here's hoping they're able to be brought on as well. And again, this one's going to be for Peacock. So yeah, I guess we're, I guess we're really so doing this. If they don't get Donald uh, or, or Yvonne back, are you going to still watch the movie? I'm sure I will. I mean, I watched the sixth season, the Yahoo season. So uh, I, I watched an entire season that pretty much didn't have them in it. And um it's it has its moments. It's still funny and the characters are still the characters I like. Uh, but but obviously the chemistry yeah. is different because w- Donald Glover in particular really brought an energy into that cast that no other character is able to bring like it. it it's it, it you you miss it when it's yeah, gone. I, I mean, 
Donald Glover is an amazing actor, and I'm sure that he could step back into the role of Troy. But he's also, I mean, everybody's so much older now. And he was definitely one of the younger characters. So I wonder if even the character would lose some charm with him stepping back into it now these these years later. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how would you treat the passage of time for that character? Would he have lost some of the naivete and uh, the the kind of um, thickness? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> he 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 he, perp- he constantly gets things wrong or misunderstands things. So presumably some of that would have faded away. How would that manifest in uh, the character, you know, like 10 years later? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you, like you say, Ariel, you don't want, you don't want everyone to be static because that, that's, that doesn't feel like that's a good choice, but if you change them too much, then you run into the risk of potentially losing the thing that had everyone fall in love with the series. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Regardless of what they do, I only have a few months now to catch up on Community, Um, (laughs) but I'm adding it to the end of my list. I have mainlined that series. Uh, I think I've watched the whole thing all the way through at least three times. I think I'm only in season two or three um, on Netflix. Uh, But speaking of adults playing teenagers, uh, (laughs) we got great. A first look at uh, the trailer for the new Pink Ladies television series. The Pink Ladies, if you are not aware, were the uh, like the girl gang in Greece. Yeah. In see, Greece. now the Pink Ladies pact is to act cool, to look cool and to be cool, cool. till death cool. do they part. Think pink. That actually comes from Greece, too. Did you? Uh, yeah, uh, you remember that real well, Jonathan. I don't I don't think you're a good fit for the Pink Ladies, though. I own Grease 2 on Blu-ray. Now ask me <laughs> if I own a copy of Grease. Do you own a copy of Grease? I do not. That's that's interesting because I did enjoy Grease better than Grease 2. Oh, um, no, Grease 2, Grease 2. I enjoy Grease 2 the way you say those Star Wars fans enjoy Star Wars Holiday Special. <laughs> Look, I get it. I get it. And, you know, to be fair with this trailer, obviously it is Definitely not the same actors from the original movie in this new TV series. And I don't even know if it's adults playing teenagers in the in the series because I haven't looked up the actors ages. Uh, Hollywood's real good about hiding stuff like that. Um, but it looks like it's this show is also for Paramount Plus. It looks like, you know, a musical retelling of, of how the girls got together. It feels very true to the original stories. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if it's even supposed to be. I mean, maybe it's supposed to be the the pink ladies of the first Grease film, but it's set four years before Grease. So 1954. So if they're freshmen, Mm -hmm. then yes, that would be the same group. Right. Because by the time, as we know, at the end of Grease, everyone we've met graduates. So (laughs) with apparently the exception of Frenchie, but everyone else graduates. And so if this is 1954, does that mean that these are four freshmen who form the Pink Ladies? Or is this an earlier class where they create the Pink Ladies and the Pink Ladies becomes kind of this mantle that gets passed down from class to class? Uh, And I don't know the answer to that either. So looking at the comingsoon.net article, it looks like. Uh, the main characters are Jane, Olivia, Cynthia, and Nancy, and Hazel. So my guess is that it's uh, a group that founds the Pink Ladies and then later brings in, you know, everybody else. Right, because either that or they, either that or in the process, they end up giving each other nicknames like Rizzo and Frenchie. But yeah, we will have to, I, I assumed Rizzo was like the last name of the character. I should know this because I... I'm such a big Broadway fan. And of course, Grease was a Broadway show before it was ever a movie. But I have never, ever seen the stage version of Grease, which I understand is raunchier and uh, uh, has slightly different songs than the film version. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's an entire um article. uh, um actually question about this in one of their musical episodes about what songs (laughs) actually carry over from one to the other originally. Um, which is yeah. not a lot, not a lot. Um, okay. Uh, we're now entering into, uh, 
Jonathan's favorite and my least favorite part of any lineup, the spoopy set- section. Yeah, uh, turns out there were a few horror related stories. And so I put them all together. And first up, we have a trailer for Evil Dead Rise. Now, Evil Dead is a series that has a, a kind of an identity crisis because you have the original Evil Dead movies. The very first one was meant more or less to be a serious horror film, but because of the low budget, some elements of it are slightly comedic, not because mm-hmm. of the subject matter, but because of the execution. Yeah. Then you get to Evil Dead 2 and the slapstick element gets played up a little bit more. And it's more of a it's more of a borderline horror comedy. You get to Army of Darkness. Now you're in comedy with horror because <laughs> it's it's definitely playing up the slapstick big time in Army of Darkness. Then you get to like the Evil Dead versus Ash series. You get to the Evil Dead reboot. The Evil Dead reboot like strips any humor away and becomes more of a demonic possession horror movie. Now we have Evil Dead Rise, and I think this one just said, hold my beer, and went even harder for, like, demonic possession horror. Yeah, like, visually, a lot of it gave me very Evil Dead uh, feels, even though I've only watched parts of the original um, movie. Um, I've watched all of Army of Darkness, and then I watched the first episode or two of the television series, Um, I, I don't know. I feel like you really need the comedy to call it an evil dead movie. I, I don't disagree. Um, that's not to say that I think that this is going to be a bad film. It's one where I, I would change the branding on it. I feel the same way. Like whenever you have any Hollywood project where they're taking advantage of a known property, and they're putting out a new film or TV show or something like that. And it has this known name to it, but then you watch it and you think this is like in no way similar to the original other than maybe the basic premise. Yeah. Perfect example. Perfect (laughs) example. So yeah, I, I I never like that. It always bothers me. Uh, And the, the trailer looks like it's going to be a pretty, intense horror movie. So if you're into intense horror movies, this might be right up your alley. Uh, but I, I agree with you, Ariel. I think, I think I would actually, this, this trailer would have hit harder for me if it weren't called evil dead. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, it, it looks kind of interesting if you separate it from that. Uh, another scary movie coming out is one called sick is about uh, going to a cabin during I guess the pandemic or a pandemic because people are very into masks and quarantine. And then uh, a scary guy comes and ruins the teenagers getaway. You know, um, it's done by the same person. I think who did they write or direct scream? I think they, I think it was the direct, uh, the writer rather. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was the writer because uh, the original scream was a uh, um, Wes Craven who directed, I think. Was it? Gotcha. Maybe I'm mixing it all up. See, the, it, I'm a bad horror fan, um, but I really like this trailer. Uh, I like the premise, the idea, because you always have to come up for a reason to have your characters isolated, right? Like mm-hmm. the cabin in the woods trope is a big one in horror. I mean, that's why Joss Whedon did the cabin in the woods movie. And the trope requires that your characters be cut off from civilization so that they don't really have anywhere to turn to when the bad stuff starts happening. And in Mm -hmm. this case, what a great way of doing it where it's these two characters who are they're They're going to quarantine in this remote, enormous cabin to call it a cabin is being ridiculous. It is more like a chalet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah, It's or a lodge. Maybe a lodge would be a good name for it too. Cause it's, it's big. Um, and it's fancy. It's not like it's not like a little log cabin out in the woods. It's a fancy mm-hmm. place. Um, it's the kind of place I would love to own if I were wealthy, but I'm 100. not. <laughs> so uh, they they are going to go there to isolate and to party, essentially. And it looks like one of them is a little more conscientious about trying to be safe than the other. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the premise is that uh, the the willingness to abide by rules is part of the the 
the push of the storyline and maybe sometimes that an over-reliance on rules can get you into trouble as well. And yeah, but I don't know. I think it looks, it looks to me a lot like a slasher film like scream mixed with, uh, maybe a little bit of social commentary about, about, uh, social rules. Like, yeah. like when we had mask mandates and stuff. Yeah. Cause the, the end, the end beat was like the hardest hitting beat of the entire trailer for me when, a girl is asking for help and she can't because she isn't following the, she isn't getting it because she isn't following those social rules. And it's like, what level of well being do you put top priority? Um, I, yeah, yeah. I, it looks interesting to me. I obviously can't watch everything Blumhouse does, but he does do that. That production company does do a lot of things that have more to it than just the scary or the blood or, or the violence, you know, um, good stories or interesting twists or things like that. And I, I definitely feel like this falls into the more interesting story or twist category, maybe even a little bit more suspenseful than just flat out gory, at least from the trailer. Yeah. Well, for one thing, at least in the trailer, they don't introduce that many characters, so no. it can't be that gory. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't There's know. I watched Candyman, uh, and in the original Candyman, I remember sitting there going, that person doesn't have that much blood. <laughs> there's three characters um, the original Candyman stands as one of the great horror <sighs> movies and social commentary uh, horror movies uh, of that so era scary. and the reboot also um, so scary okay well next up we have uh, we got a trailer for a series called Lockwood and Comp- Company or Lockwood and Co which mm-hmm. uh, I was not aware of I, I realize now that it's a series of, of young adult books but I had never heard of it before. Um, and it's kind of fascinating premise. This idea that ghosts are a thing. Mm-hmm. They have become a very troublesome thing. And the way the world has responded is they have formed all these, these official agencies where they have people trained to go out and take care of ghosts so that they stop haunting people. But that, there's an element of corruption there, like a bureaucracy. And I get the, it, it starts to give me the sense of the idea when, uh, when fire fighters were, um, like sponsored mm-hmm. by specific people. And so you had like this competitive nature in firefighting where you had different firefighting crews rushing to put out a burning building because they would get the reward if they, yeah. if they were first on the scene and were doing it, I get the feeling like that's kind of what's happening here, but the, uh, the main characters are young, young people, kids really who form their own ghost fighting agency. Yeah. Um, and despite being a YA novel, uh, or based on YA novels, um, this trailer, it, it didn't hit too much of a, of a cheesy, this is too young for you. YA feel for me. Um, I really enjoyed it. Mm. Of course, Joe Cornish, who's the director, uh, also did Attack the Block and The Kid Who Would Be King, which were also YA stories that really appealed to me. Um, just because the concept is executed very well. Yeah, uh, yeah. Attack the Block is amazing. If you haven't seen it, seek it out. It is well worth a watch. You get a John Boyega in that movie. You get Nick Frost as a... Mm a weed obsessed character in that movie. Um, it's, it's definitely worth watching. So this trailer I thought looked great. It also kind of hints at issues we see in a lot of zombie uh, (laughs) entertainment. That being that sometimes the, the, the most uh, pressing threat isn't the supernatural threat, but it's other people. Yeah. That seems to come across in this trailer too. Yeah. Um, so we're going to, we, we've talked a lot about uh, streaming companies cutting back on on the amount of entertainment that they're putting out. But I feel like at least the last and I know Netflix is still making way more content than I want to watch or could even possibly watch. But I don't know. I feel like since they've cut back on some stuff, the things that I'm getting the trailers for are, look better to me. I don't know. Yeah, it may be that they're they're being a little more careful with their decisions. Although honestly, I would be surprised if that, if those, those decisions were already starting to manifest this early in the year, because we know that these series are frequently, they're like 
a year behind before they mm-hmm. come out. Right. Like when you're, when you're making it, you're making something that's not going to come out for another year. Yeah. Typically. Yeah. So it might, might be a little bit longer before we really start seeing the consequences of, of streaming companies reckoning with these production costs and pulling things back. Uh, so I don't know, but I will say like, this looks good. Like I didn't know anything going into it. I had no expectations by the end of the trailer. I thought everyone looks like they're doing a great job. The ghost, uh, design I love, mm-hmm. I love the ghost design I agree. and I'm intrigued about the world. So I'm probably going to check this out. Yeah. With no more lock and key and with umbrella Academy coming to a close, I'm excited. Hopefully this will pick up. Hopefully people will watch. Hopefully it'll be good and people will watch it to the end of the first season so that it gets a second season. Also so that, you know, the actors can get paid because Mm -hmm. um, the streaming, streaming royalties for actors and for crew are just a mess. Um, So sometimes that factors into how long a, a show stays on a streaming service like HBO. Um, anyhow, uh, <laughs> regardless, hopefully this will be good. Uh, Paramount Plus, man, Paramount Plus is just coming out with all this stuff. Apparently, they're getting a D and D series too. Yeah, so there's going to be, uh, a, well, now there's a D and D series that's actually in active development, and it's dedicated or it's it's going toward Paramount Plus and Ross and Marshall Thurber, um has written the pilot script and is supposed to direct the first episode of this series. And yeah, um, I don't know how to, well, we don't know enough, right? I don't, we don't know enough Mm -hmm. about what this series is. We don't know what its tone is going to be. We don't know if it's going to be just strictly set within the fantasy world of D and D, or if it's going to be a meta thing where you've got, players and characters we don't know anything so um i'm not i'm not ready to make any kind of guess as to what this is going to turn out to be but i i'm curious especially since i know i keep going back to the D &D movie ariel and i'm sorry (laughs) well no it's fine because e1 is producing both so yeah but when, when i saw that trailer last year i was not super enthusiastic about it. Like it looked okay. Like, it, but it didn't, in some ways it didn't look any better than the really bad D and D movies we got several years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. It looked, it looked bad, but in different ways to me, it wasn't, the, it wasn't an apples to apples thing, but it didn't look like it was going to be like, I, I didn't think this is going to become like Willow. Right. Like this is going to be one of those movies that I have to own so that I can occasionally watch it. It didn't come across like that to me. And I seeing that and thinking that I'm like, so what led them to think, hey, let's double down and make a series. I mean, Dungeons and Dragons is super popular right now. I do feel like um, as much as I watch like Dimension 20 and Critical Role and or listen and then like listen to like Critical Role and Adventure Zone and stuff like that, I do feel that playing D and D has a similar issue to making it cinematic as like LARPs, which is the immersion, right? When you're immersed into a situation, mm. it's so much cooler than necessarily watching from the outside because you're feeling all of those emotions. And so it's a little bit harder to bring that to people who are just watching the story. Um, that being said, uh, Ross and Marsha Thurber wrote, uh, made red notice um, on Netflix, which was the um, Gal Gadot, uh, Dwayne Johnson, uh, Ryan Reynolds heist movie, which was very actiony mm-hmm. and very funny. And I feel like that's what you need in D and D. You need you need the snark and you need the ironic situations because that's to me what uh, you can play a very serious D and D campaign, but having those comedic moments and those moments of like ridiculous failure or success are what separate it from Lord of the Rings or the Wheel of Time or anything like that. To me, it's just. There's a level of fun there. Yeah, I agree. I, I need that element in my D&D. I need it because there are moments when you're playing D&D. It's just inevitable. There are moments when you're playing, when you step outside of what's happening at the table at that moment, and you're just kind of evaluating what's going on from a meta perspective. Mm-hmm. And you're like, this is a bunch of grown adults pretending to be 
fantasy creatures arguing about the best way to open a door, whether it's to kick it in or not. Like this is just, it's, it's patently ridiculous. There are moments when that happens, right? Where you just, you, again, you step outside and you're like, this is ridiculous, but within the fiction of the world, it's not. So when you start adding in humor and comedy into D and D, I feel it helps take a little of that edge off mm-hmm. that it, it encourages people to be more playful because that to me is one of the biggest barriers to Dungeons and Dragons is convincing people to be playful mm-hmm. because we all have that, that feeling inside of us that, Oh, that's childlike. That's childish. That's I'm going to look like an idiot. I don't yeah. want to look like an idiot in front of people. So oh. I don't want to engage in this. And to me, that's one of the reasons why humor should always be a part of Dungeons and Dragons. It doesn't have to be the, the, pivotal part no. it doesn't have to be the main thing but i feel like it needs to at least be present yeah i agree and and you know uh, just from um from a scripted acting side of things if you are looking at the, the, the dramatizing it there's an entire line of thought and i agree with it that even in the most serious situations you have to find the comedy so like because that makes everything hit just a little bit more true and so you know if you have this ridiculous comedy everybody taking big risks in D D it makes the losses that much more poignant too. It makes just for a better story. So yeah. Um, I, you know, if, if they can do it great, um, I, I love watching live plays, uh, you know, so if, if someone can figure out how to capture that in, in a television series or a movie, I am for it. Yeah. And, and obviously, you know, we've got plenty of examples of other fantasy based series, you know, D and D has tons of different novels set in various Dungeons and Dragons worlds that are incredibly popular. Mm-hmm. You've got all the other fantasy based stuff from Lord of the Rings to Game of Thrones to, you know, slightly less successful yeah. <laughs> titles out there. But but we have examples of it working. So it, I don't think that there's something inherently impossible about making a good live action D and D property. I just think that it so far, it hasn't fallen into the correct hands to make that yeah. something that I personally find well, satisfying. And if other people find it great, like if other people go to the D and D movie with Chris Pine and they think this was really entertaining, I loved it. I can't wait to see it again. That's phenomenal mm-hmm. that's amazing so i'm not here to yuck anyone's yum and maybe i'll be that person and maybe it was just trailers that didn't hit with me so we'll have to see yeah but uh unfortunately D might be falling into less people's hands to experiment with because of the changes that wizards of the coast is making to their open gaming license so um jonathan and i have talked about this a little bit on business on the brink um may- maybe a lot we had an entire episode about D, but uh the the roll twenty system that D and D is based off of for for many many years has been an open gaming it's been in an open gaming license so that people can create their own worlds their own contents their their own games their own um, settings within D and D using that base rule set but now now they're looking at how to uh, monetize that better for the owner company and it is ruffling a lot of feathers and I can't say completely unwarrantedly. Yeah. Yeah. So full disclosure, we have not had a chance to read the full updated license yet. So, well, because it keeps, it keeps changing. Like all the news about it keeps changing too. As we've been on this, uh, recording this podcast, I've had three articles pop up in my D and D groups chat about, uh, what, Pathfinder is going to do now what Wizards of the Coast are saying now what this is. So it's changing yeah. a lot. So so by the time you even hear this, there may be significant changes from when we were recording. But generally mm-hmm. speaking, like one of the neat things about the open gaming license, open game license is that it allowed lots of other creators to build their own supplemental materials and even sell them, like even, you know, create a market for them. You probably have seen uh, various source books that were written by not wizards of the coast, but by others that are meant to mm-hmm. augment D and D in some way. And sometimes it's like 
addressing stuff that D&D really hasn't in order to give you rules to guide you for certain scenarios that you might want to explore, but the base source books from Wizards of the Coast don't touch on that. And in some cases, Mm -hmm. it's to introduce all new realms like Critical Role has done that. They've released books that introduce the worlds that that uh, Critical Role takes place in. So, I mean, the the entire role playing game Pathfinder is based on. Yeah, D20. So not not roll 20 D20. The 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 problems here is that by updating the license and putting in more restrictions and putting in things like reportedly there are passages that would give wizards of the coast, uh, the rights to the work you create so that they could end up, uh, exploiting those creations you've made for their own, um, uh, revenue or that they can take a cut of your revenue. If you are making more than a certain amount per year, from your mm-hmm. your books and like uh, if it hadn't been for the open game license maybe i'd feel about this differently but the fact that there was an open game license that had such flexibility to it and that that led to incredible creativity in the space uh the fact that that's now being tweaked and changed is what is really upsetting because otherwise you could say well they made the stuff. And if you are creating things based off of their stuff and then you're making huge amounts of money, should some of that money also go to the original creators? And that gets into a very complicated conversation. So, well, yeah, because one of the things in, in, in the new license that people are up in arms about and might change because, because people are up in arms about is them saying, if you create anything under the new license, uh, we can use it for whatever we want. We don't have mm-hmm. to pay you to use it because you're using our system. So uh, it's not like they're buying the company. It's not like they're partnering with the company. They're just saying, you've made the successful thing off of our open game license so we can do whatever we want with it. And while not illegal, that feels just kind of crappy to me. Yeah. Well, it's it, not good business relation. It, it reminds me of how things can happen on YouTube, right? Where let's say that you make a YouTube video where you are critiquing um, a specific editorial choice in a movie. And so you have uh, some clips from this movie and you're pointing out the editorial choices that you are critiquing. And under, you know, most, most uh, people's uh, uh, opinions, this would probably fall under fair use that you're making use of copyrighted material in order to educate and to comment upon it and to critique it. And as long as you are not using very much of it and that the stuff you're saying has substance, that should reasonably be considered fair use. Well, on YouTube, a mm-hmm. lot of times you'll hear stories about how creators had the monetization of their videos switched so that let's say the movie studio that made the movie is now collecting all the money being made off that video because they owned the source that you were referencing. And that Mm -hmm. we hear these stories all the time over with YouTube creators where they have to fight to be able to get back their monetization because they they're making a very valid point of no, this isn't, I'm not exploiting their work. I'm using their work to explain this concept and to make this point Mm-hmm. And, and that does fall under fair use. And I should be able to do that. Um, it reminds me a lot of those kinds of situations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is still unfolding and, uh, you know, in, in <laughs> I'm trying not to be too distracted. I've now turned off my D and D group chat because, you know, they're like, well, they were going to do this, but now they're going to dial it back and slowly work up to it. So people don't get upset, but, um, hopefully they will figure out a way to not, completely screw over people who are creating things. Yeah. Um, not to alienate world. their entire fan yeah. base. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, maybe we'll talk more about this as everything unfolds and as it, um, settles and, and we know what the end result is going to be. Um, we just have a couple of more stories to go. In fact, we probably could have thrown these under the 30 seconds or less, but first up 
is if you are a subscriber to HBO Max, which we know is going to have its name changed at some point, uh, you likely received an email. I know I did alerting you that you will be paying a little bit more for the privilege of watching HBO Max. Uh, they're hiking up the monthly subscription fee by a dollar. Yeah, um, they're you know they're as, as much as HBO has been cutting a bunch of stuff and and whatever reasons, good or bad, they are doing that. Um, they say that this increase is to help them create new and awesome content. Um, and it's not unheard of. A lot of most of the streaming services are bumping up their monthly fee, uh, which sucks because there's so many services and that can add up. If you've got 20 streaming services, that's 20 extra bucks a month or more. Um, but, you know, it's also understandable and reasonable and it's only a dollar. So, Ask me again in 12 months when I suspect we'll all be watching stick figure theater versions of DC superhero stories because that's all they can afford. And that's all David mm -hmm. Zaslav will pay for. And you'll just be like, well, that one's supposed to be Batman. Uh, if you look really closely, you can see there's little points on the uh, top of the stick oh, figure's head. I was to say, if it's got little points on top of its head, if it's, it's Batman, if it's got a cape and underwear, it's Superman. <laughs> it's yeah. Um, oh. I mean, it, I, I, Honestly, I get it. Like the streaming business model is a very tricky one. How the heck do you make it profitable if your strategy is to bring people over to your service by producing premier content? Uh, it gets really hard. Like it's really, mm -hmm. I mean, Netflix didn't start off by making premier content. Netflix started off by just being really the 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 biggest game in town when it came to streaming stuff and and most of the stuff they streamed in fact all the stuff they streamed originally belonged to other studios yeah right? and then you would just like it was like a, a mail-in blockbuster yep well yeah originally before they even got to the streaming stuff it was mail-in blockbuster and it's only that the studios started to get worried that netflix was going to get too powerful and they started to create these other streaming services that you know, to, to this day, we're still seeing that play out that it got to a point where everyone in order to stand out has to make their own unique uh, uh, content that no one else has. And that gets really expensive and no one has figured out how to do that in a way that's sustainable. So from that respect, I totally get it. It's hard to argue as a customer, like you were saying, Ariel, it's tough, man. I mean, especially when you're going into economic uncertainty, like you start asking what, what things am I, do I need? What things do I want? And what things can I say goodbye to? And, uh, I feel like a streaming services are gonna, a lot of them are gonna get hit by this over the next, you know, several months. Or yeah, they're, or they're going to combine like WB discovery and HBO is doing, um, which I don't know. There are too many, People didn't like cable where you got everything in one, but then you still had to buy extras. People don't like all the different streaming services. There's got to be a middle ground somewhere. Um, well, the thing that people wanted was they wanted to be able to pick and choose the content, right? Like, like almost like imagine that you've got a streaming platform, but it's blank and mm -hmm. you get to put whatever you want into that streaming platform. So you say, Oh, well, I definitely want the daredevil series in there. So I'm going to take that from Netflix. I'm going to put it in there. And I definitely want severance from Apple TV. So I'm going to take that and I'm going to put it in there and so on and so forth until you have your own personal library of stuff that you want. That's what everyone was dreaming of. Yeah. How do you, how do you monetize that? Well, you can't. I mean, you would have to have like some sort of you would have to do something kind of like ASCAP does with with songs, right? Where you have a general license and then all the studios get a cut of all the license fees. But that would not support this model either. You wouldn't have the money to put on these prestige series and films. So I think I think we're just going to see probably a pretty tumultuous couple of years while folks really figure out what's the long-term plan with yeah. streaming and, uh, and, and exclusive content for streaming platforms, because I don't think we figured it out yet. Yeah. I mean, I will, as a, as a person who is hoping to make a living off the entertainment industry, like I also cancel my various streaming services between the series that I want to watch because I can't afford them all 
and the things I want to watch are not all in the same. So I am, I am a part of the problem. Uh, or I am, I am not a part of the problem. I am stuck within the problem they are all trying to figure out. Um, yes, yes. But uh, we have one one last little thing. This is a happy thing. Um, it's not a problem. It does come from Netflix, uh, which is they have released Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder Revenge for uh, iOS and Android. So you can now play the video game on your phone. I uh, it's funny because it, you your headline is TMNT Shredder's Revenge comes to mobile. And I'm like, Ariel, I've already been playing it on mobile because I have that on my stream deck. Ah, on my steam deck. Gotcha. Yeah. So I, I, I have, I, I shredders revenge is one of two games that I regularly play on my steam deck, so fun. uh, which is a, a mobile gaming PC. Uh, the other one being, uh, cult of the lamb, which is, uh, a cute and disturbing game about creating a cult. But yeah, uh, shredders revenge is total is a total throwback. If you're not familiar with it, it's a total throwback to the side-scrolling beat-em-up Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles games of the 90s. It's complete with like some of the same effects and some of the same outcomes. Like you can end up throwing bad guys toward the screen. So you see this little cartoon guy get bigger and bigger as he as he splats across the screen in front of your eyes. Uh, it's a great game. Highly recommend it. Uh, it's got fantastic music and voice acting. The animation is wonderful. The character designs are great. It really does feel like a genuine nostalgic throwback to those arcade games. Yeah. So um, check it out. I, I've i got, you know, the TMNT uh, game on one of my gaming consoles, and I enjoy it. Um, I like... So you can play this one with random party people. Like, random people can join your party and you can play it you know, virtually, but I like, I like it on my gaming console because I can sit with four people in a room and co-op together. And that hasn't happened for a game for me for a while. And it's exciting. Yeah, no, those are great. Like the same screen type games. Mm-hmm. Um, it's rare to encounter now because everything has been shifted to online play, but there's, there's a communal joy that comes out of playing games in the same physical space with each other and, mm-hmm. and sharing the same screen that is you just can't replicate that online now granted there are also obviously times where you don't want to have that experience like if there's a surge in covid for yeah. example but it's it is one of those experiences that you just can't you cannot perfectly capture with any other experience. And uh, I, I really love those two. Out of curiosity, who's your go-to character? Uh, Michelangelo. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So uh, my go-to is Casey Jones. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. But like my car was my named Michelangelo Wazowski. And he's a goofball. It's not because of his skills or his abilities or anything like that. Um, I also like April O'Neil. She's she's my second choice. Yeah, it, it's cool that you can choose to play those characters, because, of course, in the original 90s games, you were limited to the four mm-hmm. turtles. That's it. Like those were the only characters you could play. Yeah. So having the ability to to play these other characters is it's fun. It's a nice little, uh, you know, addition to the game. So cool that you can now play it on mobile devices like Android and iOS devices. The review I read suggested that. Uh, the on-screen controls are okay, but it's better to pair a controller with your phone and use the controller as your input device. It just works better from what that I've heard. doesn't surprise me. Uh, but that is the end of everything we wanted to talk about. If uh, you, our fair and fine friends and listeners, uh, have any thoughts you'd like to share with us about the new uh, D&D open gaming license or games that you like to play in a room with other people you should write us and tell us yes and i'll explain how you can do that go deep into the woods and find a rock and write your thoughts on a piece of paper and place it underneath that rock walk around the rock three times counterclockwise while chanting lnc 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 work for me and if the winds are right then we will respond by visiting you in a dream. That's so much work for me, Jonathan. Or you could just, you know, hit us up on social media. On Instagram, we're Larger Drunk Collider. On Twitter, we're LNC underscore podcast. On uh, Facebook, we're Larger Drunk Collider. And on Discord, we're Larger Drunk Collider. 
Um, I will have an email address soon. I have been dealing with sick kitties, so I'm running behind on things like that and updating the website. Although last week's episode is up on the website, www.largenosedrunkcollider.com. Big surprise. Um, but yeah, write us and we will get back to you. We do read everything you send in, even if we might be a little slow to respond now and then. Cool. So, uh, I guess this is it. So until next time, it's it. I am Jonathan. I'm serious about the rock in the woods thing. Strickland. And I'm Ariel. Please don't listen to him unless he's going to respond. Casted. The Large Nerdron Collider was created by Ariel Caston and produced, edited, published, deleted, undeleted, published again, cursed at, by Jonathan Strickland. Music by Kevin McLeod of Incomptech.com. <laughs> <laughs>